Welcome to Setting Captives Free podcast, where we talk about how to experience gospel freedom. Romans 6-7 says, For one who has died has been set free from sin. On today's broadcast, Mike Cleveland, founder of Setting Captives Free, shares how you can experience the freedom purchased for us by Jesus Christ at the cross. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to our Setting Captives Free podcast. This is Mike Cleveland, and I'm here with my wife, Jody. Jody, thank you for joining me in, uh, on this important topic we're going to discuss today. Uh, I'm glad to be here. I'm so thankful for every opportunity that we have to uh, share the gospel of Jesus Christ and how that transforms hearts and lives. Amen. Today we have a sad topic to discuss. When I heard about this, it broke my heart, as I'm sure it did millions of people across the world, around the world. On March 16th, Robert Aaron Long, a 21-year-old white man, killed eight people, seven women and one man, during three separate spa shootings outside Atlanta. Um, Jody, this this broke my heart. I, I watched it unfold. Uh, I saw the news clippings of it, and it's just so sad, isn't it? It really is tragic, and um, and I think uh, it's even more so because uh, the reason that he gave. Yeah, he cited sexual addiction as his defense. So, in other words, he was uh, eliminating temptation, wasn't he? Oh my goodness, he thought he was. Um, and this was, you know, well, we're just going to discuss in this in this podcast that the misguided thinking, how he was taught falsely and came to false conclusions that led to greater crimes. Yeah, he, he accepted a teaching that led to this behavior. And this is what we want to address because, unfortunately, this teaching is rampant across our world today. It is responsible for uh, many crimes such as this, for many marital breakups, for many um, sinful thoughts, actions, behaviors, and we want to address it head on. And so uh, let's begin discussing this. Right. Um, a lot of people are attributing his crimes as saying they were hate crimes because, um, and it, it is tragic that uh, several of the women that were murdered were of Asian descent. And um, that is terrible. But um, the that's not the issue that we're going to address on our podcast. We're addressing the fact that he cited sexual addiction. And he told the police um, that he viewed the people who worked at the spas as temptations that he needed to eliminate. So, Mike, can you can you help us understand how this young man got to this point? How, how, did, he, how did he go from... Um, wanting to be free from sexual sin to murdering people in order to be free from sexual sin. That just seems like a huge leap to the rest of us. Right. Well, it is actually fairly a logical progression that happens when you accept a certain teaching. The teaching goes like this. 
To be successful in your Christian life and to live in purity, you must eradicate everything that would lead you astray. Um, They would use verses in Scripture, such as Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 5, called radical amputation. If you see something that causes you to lust in your heart, you need to pluck out your eye. If you if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Uh, if if you're and so forth, this is a teaching that says you have to be radical and extreme in eliminating temptation. And so, if you're taught that, I'm going to do everything in my power to be free from temptation, so I can live in purity, so I can be successful in my Christian walk. You can continue to e- eliminate various things. You might cut off the TV. Uh, you might eliminate um, going to the beach. You might stop going to malls because, after all, I'm seeing things that are causing lust within me. And they're stirring up thoughts that I have, and I've got to eliminate that. And so I stop going to malls. I cut off my TV. I eliminate internet access. Um, But then I'm driving around, and I see things that tempt me. And again, thoughts are stirred up. and, And I know that in order to be successful in my walk with Christ, I have to eliminate those things. Um, There's a quote from... Uh, a, a quote ministry, and I put that in quotes, called Every Man's Battle that says, a red-blooded American male can't even watch a major sporting event without being assaulted by commercials, showing a bunch of half-naked women cavorting on some beach with some beer-soaked yahoos. What's a man to do? Well, that's a good question. What's a man to do? You want to know their answer? And this is part of the problem. Okay. To attain sexual purity as we define it, we must starve your eyes of the bowls of sexual gratification that comes from outside your marriage. When you starve your eyes and eliminate junk sex from your life, you'll deeply crave real food, your wife. And no wonder she's the only thing in your cupboard and you're hungry. Oh dear. There's a real problem with this teaching. This actually creates bondage and and leads men to do what this uh, Aaron, is that his name? Aaron, Aaron Long did. You must eliminate. Did you see what it says? You must eliminate junk sex. Right. In any way that you can do it. You, you have to eliminate. You have to get rid of that which tempts you. You have to make sure that that is not going to drag you into sin any longer. And so whatever it takes, you get rid of it. And so you can see the logical progression that this teaching leads you on. You've, you've eliminated the internet. You've got rid of TV, cable TV. You have not gone to malls or beaches. You've stopped you know, watching commercials. You don't drive by the big billboard of the sexy woman. You, you have completely eliminated every area, so you think, that's tempting you. And you can continue down that path being as extreme and radical as you need to be in order to be free and be successful in your walk with Christ. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's it's clearly uh, Aaron, bless his heart, he took the temptation or took the teaching and warped it and, and applied it to people. 
um, instead of you know cutting off his own hand or plucking out his own eye, he he went and killed people or, or these women. He's not the first man that has done this. Um, the Green River Killer was known for killing um, prostitutes, sex workers. So uh, I don't know that his motivation was religious, but it's still the same mindset, which is these are. Um, uh, women who are um, dehumanized, they're of no value because they are sex, uh, they're prostitutes, they're immoral women, um, that kind of thing. And so uh, there's this there's this ability to um, see uh, a temptation, a person, a situation, a circumstance outside of you and say, that's the problem. The problem isn't me. The problem is out there. And I'm going to kind of eradicate that. I'm going to mow that down. And, um, and that's what he tried to do. And it's tragic on so many levels. But um, uh, this teaching has been around uh, since the beginning of time, right? I mean, um, you look at Cain killed Abel. Why? Because that was an object in his way. It was someone in his way. He felt like if he eradicated um, Abel, then God would accept him, right? He would be pleasing to God now. Um, I've eliminated the competition, right? I've eliminated the problem. That was part of his um, work thinking, right? His sinful thinking. Um, so here's this guy uh, who's made women to be the problem and he's going to eradicate them. What are, so you, you, you pointed out one of the false solutions, which is radical amputation. Um, and another false solution, um, might be, um, the modesty culture, right? Uh, so in, in this, um, or some of the things that have come up about this, uh, this problem is that, um, the junk sex, right? The 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 article that you quoted from Every Man's Battle, um, saying that a man can't watch even a sporting event without being assaulted by commercials showing half naked women cavorting um, on a beach, right? And so uh, there's this um, sort of dehumanizing or or speaking down or ill of these women that um, the world has used to sell their product, right? The world actually dehumanizes people when they put them in commercials and, and flaunt them around to sell beer or cigarettes or, you know, food or, you know, diet products or whatever it is they're selling, right? So the world does it too. It's not just um, religious people. It's the world that dehumanizes um, uh, individuals for their own gain. But... Uh, one of the one of the things is uh, this taught is if women would just dress modestly, then that would eliminate the problem. So what's what's why is that not true? Well, it's not true on several levels. First of all, it places the problem outside of you. It's they're they're the ones that enticed me. It's their fault. They have been my temptation. And, and, we, and I need to get rid of them in some way. They're the problem out there. That's the first problem with it. The second problem with it is take it to its natural extreme. The Christian culture of modesty is, it has nothing on the Muslim culture of modesty. The Muslims, of course, take modesty to its logical conclusion. Uh, if you're not supposed to dress in a way that entices a man, well, just go ahead and completely cover up. Wear a burqa. Don't let any flesh, not even your eyes, 
be seen because after all a man you know has these these inclinations and we must protect the men so that you don't stir up temptation in his heart so cover it all up completely now the problem with that is that statistics show that rape is every bit as much or more in cultures that teach modesty as they are in the American culture that has thrown modesty out the window. Right. And so you don't have that as a real solution. That is not the biblical solution. We don't want to discount modesty. We're not telling people to throw it out the window. Excellent. Scripture addresses it in exactly one verse. All right. Telling a woman to dress modestly. Right. So we don't throw it out. It's important. But it's not the solution. It's not the answer because the solution is not out there somewhere. In other words, if you would just dress differently, then I could live purely. Right. Now, the problem with that, there's a problem with that. And the Bible addresses the problem with that. Here's the problem, Jody. Okay. Jesus says in Matthew 15, 19, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander, and all kinds of other bad things. Right. So it's out of the heart. Guess where your heart is? It's not out there. That's right. It's in here. It is. The problem is, turns out, it's me. Yeah. The problem is my thoughts, my desires, my wants, my, what I think are needs. And it's, this is, first of all, we have to determine where the problem is. Right. So let's, let's say it like this. Let's say a man could eliminate all temptations outside of himself. Okay. He put himself in a prison where he never saw anything. He's now in a prison of four by eight, and he can't watch TV, and he can't see another human being. Mm -hmm. Is he free? Afraid not. No. The reason he's not free is because he still has a mind Mm -hmm. that can conjure up all kind of imaginations. He still has a heart. And this heart longs for and lusts after and visualizes all kinds of impure scenarios. He's sitting there in prison where there is no temptations externally. Right. None. And he's ever bit as much in bondage because of his heart, his depraved mind. Right. The problem is not out there. It's in here. Right. See, and this is so important because for every sin issue, whether it's sexual immorality or as as something as innocuous as many people would consider slander, right? Oh, that's just words, slander. Okay, but that's in the same context, right out there with murder, okay? So murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander, all lumped in together here. And Jesus says these come out of the heart. So here is the question. If we can't control our externals, right? Being in prison doesn't prevent us from sinning. We've we've established that truth. Covering women, covering up completely, that's not going to prevent us from sinning. What is the solution? What 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 can we do? Is there any hope for us who um, have sin struggles? Well, there's no hope in religion. I'm saying uh, the the culture of covering up completely has proved that. Right. 
Um, there's no hope in externals. There's no hope whatsoever in making vows and promises to do better. Right. There's no hope. Jesus actually used those comments in Matthew 5 to show the links that we would have to go if we wanted to be under the old covenant means of working our way into purity. That's the links you'd have to go right. to. He wasn't actually teaching that as something that you should do. Right. He's just saying, oh, you want to be perfect under the law? Here's what you're going to have to do. Well, and you know, you can prove that point by the way Jesus dealt with the woman caught in adultery. Because the Pharisees that brought this woman to Jesus and threw her down in front of him, they wanted him to say she needs to be put to death, right? Because that's what the old covenant said, right? Old covenant says you must die if you commit adultery. And stoning was the way to go, right? Um, And so, but Jesus didn't do that. He did not do that. And, um, and why? Why didn't he do that? Because that's not the solution. Right. That's not where we find change. Right. And so here is where we find change. When you talk about the old covenant, everything was external. Everything was outside of me. The law that was given worked on me from the outside. It was a law written on stone tablets that had no effect over stone hearts. Right. It did not bring about change. And so there was the promise given when thousands of years had proved the ineffectiveness of external change. There was the promise given in Ezekiel chapter 36 where God says, I would bring about a new covenant. And by the way, he says in this passage 20 times, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will, in opposition to the old covenant where he says, thou shalt. 10 times. 10 times. You will. You will do this and you will not do that. That didn't work. So 20 times (laughs) in the new covenant, he says, I will. Look what he says in verse 25. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. Wow, I wonder how this happens. Right? I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart. Oh, something internal is going to change. Right? I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. Notice the internal mm-hmm. now. I will remove from your you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Yes. There would be a transformation. There would be a complete change. The heart of stone would be taken out and a heart of flesh would be put in. And I will put my spirit in you mm-hmm. and I will move you. Right. To follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Here's a promise, Jody, Mm -hmm. of a change that would be internal, a change that would happen within a man. And woman. And woman. Mm -hmm. Because the external way of eliminating temptations, of trying my best to obey God, of deciding to do better, of climbing up the works ladder to try to reach the top did not work. Why? Because my flesh is weak. Because I have a problem within me. A heart that is a stone, that is unfeeling, that cannot 
bring itself to obey completely, that keeps tripping me up in my desire to live a holy life. And I will tell you, everyone who's religious understands what I'm saying. Right. Everyone who's tried to do their best to keep whatever code they live by and fall short of doing it. The Muslims will identify with what I'm saying. The Christian religious people will understand what I'm saying. I've tried, Jody. Right. I've read my Bible till I can't see anymore. I have stayed up late praying. I've gone away to a private place and fasted. Mm-hmm. I've done all I can do. Right. And I can't change What's wrong with me? Right. What's wrong with me is the internal functioning of my desires that are affected by the fall of Adam. It carries down to his children who likewise can't live right. The thoughts within me, my mind is depraved. My heart is impure. It's ungodly. What I need is exactly what is promised. A new heart. A new heart. But but what do you say to people who say, well, yeah, Mike, you know, I, I believe that that happens out salvation. Yeah, I put my trust, I put my faith in Jesus Christ as my Savior. I, I'm a sinner. I know I need a Savior. I've accepted Jesus as my Savior. I get my new heart. I get filled with the Holy Spirit in that moment. But I am still in this sin trap. I cannot break free of, you know, fill in the blank. Sexual immorality is the one we're talking about today specifically, but it maybe it's gluttony or uh, gossip or, um, you know, th- thievery or whatever. Why are you talking about it in, in the past and as a one-time only thing? Uh, you mean salvation? Why am I talking about that as a one-time only thing? Yeah. In other words, why would you limit the work of God in your heart to a one-time event that happened when you were five years old or whatever age you were? Why are you talking about it as a one-time thing where I only experience this internal working in my heart one time? Well, I mean, you were saying that we needed a new heart. So I'm saying, okay, I got my new heart, but my new heart is faltering my new heart is not you know keeping up with what it's supposed to do right right and and so the reason for that is simple okay and that is this work of god in a person's heart to give you a new heart is the beginning of his work it's the first stages it's what happens initially upon conversion that same working in the person's heart where God replaces the heart of stone and gives you a heart of flesh, Mm -hmm. is what he does daily in the life of a Christian. And what we need to understand is how he does it. Okay. And so in Zechariah, I believe it's chapter 12, he talks about that they would look on him who was pierced. Yes. And they would see him and mourn for him. Mm Mm-hmm. As one mourns for an only child. In verse 10 it says, I'll pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. This is actually how God changes a person's heart. He brings the cross of Christ to bear upon that person's understanding. And he sees in his mind's eye, he spiritually sees the suffering child 
the pierced one. He sees the suffering. He knows one thing. I sinned and God suffered. Mm. And he begins to understand the solution for sin is the suffering one. The one who would be pierced. This is Jesus is talking about. It's clearly the the only son, the firstborn son, the only child. And as you view the cross, Jody, you see several things. You see that my sin did that to him. Mm-hmm. And it brings you to tears over mm-hmm. your sin. Mm-hmm. It's called in Second Corinthians 7, godly sorrow. And this is what's needed is this godly sorrow which leads to repentance Mm -hmm. where you actually wholeheartedly turn away from that which you used to love. Mm -hmm. Well, what what is it called? When someone turns away from that which they used to love, the thoughts they used to have, what has happened? It's a heart change. Right. And this happens one time at salvation, and this is what you were describing. Right. One time. But it happens daily and ongoingly as we turn our eyes upon Jesus and we see his complete love where, with which he loved us, how he poured out his life unto death yes. for us. And what Aaron Long needed was not to eliminate my temptations. Right. He needed to experience this heart change that happens as he looks upon the one who was pierced and he mourns and grieves and wails, what happens is now the Holy Spirit's involved, as it said in Ezekiel 36, I'll put put my spirit within you. Mm -hmm. The Holy Spirit gets involved now. And the Holy Spirit, in essence, so pours out his love in my heart that I become washed in this new love. As it says in 2 Corinthians 13, on that day, the day that that the sun would be pierced, a fountain will be opened to the house of David. This fountain would cleanse them from sin and impurity, but it would do it internally. And now, Jody, when I have a heart cleansed, idols are eradicated Idols are removed from my heart. Yes. So that what happens is I no longer have these thoughts that drag me into sin. I can now begin to view women as human beings who had parents, who have problems in life, who have uh, situations that they go through that they might need help with where we together interact within the body of Christ in the way that we're supposed to, in a healthy way. Right. Where I see you as my sister, where I see other human women as human beings. I don't view them as a collection of body parts to be gratified or to be shunned or to be eliminated if they're causing me problems. No, that's my sister. Right. She's a human who needs the same help that I do, who has the same problems. And so what has happened, Jody? My new heart is enabling me, the Holy Spirit empowering me to live in this world. We're in the world. We can't put ourselves in a a prison, a physical prison. 
we now interact in a way that's healthy, that's godly, that doesn't have to shoot the temptation, that temptress. Right. We can live in a way that is both pure and loving. Right. And humble and kind. Because the Holy Spirit is now working and moving in my heart so that when I walk by the Spirit, I don't gratify the lusts of my flesh. And I now find that the cross of Christ and the Spirit of God do for me what the law never could, what putting myself in a prison never could. Right. This is what Aaron Long needed to hear. Oh, yes. Yeah, what I'm hearing you saying is that Jesus died on the cross. His death was necessary because we were dead in our sins and trespasses. We were born with stony hearts that were wicked. And Jesus had to die so that we could receive life. And when we receive life from Jesus' death, right, um, we are transformed. And it's not uh, we're magically, you know, uh, new people instantaneously, right? Newborn babies aren't born with all the knowledge and, and uh, abilities that they're going to have as adults, right? They're, they're babies and they have to be brought up, right? They have to be fed and clothed and cared for until they are mature and able to understand things, right? Well, this is the way it is for us as new believers. We're, we're born again, yes. We have a new heart. We have a new spirit. But we need to be nurtured in the gospel specifically. That's what you're saying. We must look on the one that was pierced. And, um, and that changes everything in us, doesn't it? When we see him... Um, on the cross, dying for us every day. He died once, but we remember it every day. That changes the way we think, the way we live, the way we experience our life. And now we don't see people as problems. We see people as our brothers and sisters who are every bit as much in need as we are. Yeah. Let's bring this to a close, and next week let's talk, talk about the practical application of this. Let's talk about how does this work its way out in our lives so that we actually live throughout this world uh, free from the sin that would plunge us into captivity. Let's talk about this practical application so that we understand together how do we walk this out in our lives. This has been a podcast of Setting Captives Free. For more information or to enroll in free interactive courses on finding freedom, please go to settingcaptivesfree.com. Tune in next time for more truth that sets captives free.